Welcome, tennis fans, to the fourth episode of Tennis Traverse, Exploring the Game, the podcast that delves into the heart of the tennis world. I'm your host, Abby J, and today, I am giving my opinions on the men's final and talking about Davis Cup and other tournaments that are happening after the U.S. Open. Before I start, make sure to follow me on all of my social media platforms, that is Instagram and Twitter, using at Tennis Traverse. And you can also listen to my podcast on YouTube now with the at Tennis Traverse, and I'll link all of these links down below. And if you're listening on other podcast streaming platforms, please make sure to follow my podcast as well as give my podcast a rating. And if you have any suggestions or comments about how I can improve my podcast, or if you want to reach out to me, please feel free to contact me using my email and as well as just DM me on Instagram or Twitter. And yeah, let's get right into today's episode. So this week's podcast would, in my opinion, be rather dull compared to the last few weeks just because the U.S. Open ended and there really isn't that much of big tennis tournaments going on. Don't get me wrong, there are of course a lot of tournaments, but they're not as big as the U.S. Open because the U.S. Open is obviously a Grand Slam tournament and the U.S. Open is also the last Grand Slam tournament of this whole year, so it is a remarkable Grand Slam. So last week, my podcast actually came out a day early, which is on Sunday, so that I could predict my men's final results. And today, I'm going to start off with talking about the men's final first. So the match is actually a three-setter, and I predicted that it will be a four or five-setter with Novak Djokovic ultimately claiming his victory against Daniel Medvedev. But... The score was actually 6-3, 7-6, the tiebreak being 7-5, and the third set being 6-3. So it really wasn't a tough match for Novak Djokovic. And in my opinion, this definitely wasn't the best match in this whole tournament on the men's side, whereas the women's final, in my opinion, is the best match of all the women matches that's played this year during the tournament. But I guess it's a good match just because of the historically significant 24 Grand Slam, which I will talk about later. But first, I want to go over some stats first. So Medvedev served six aces, and they both had six double faults, which in my opinion is kind of more than they should for both because Novak is known for his good serve and I think it's just the pressure of being on this bigger stage that is nervous for both of them and even though some might say that Novak have those experiences it is a really historically significant moment for him so it's normal for him to tense up even though he has a lot of experiences and actually Medvedev have the greater first serve in percentage with 65 percent and however, Novak has an 81% win on first serve, which is a great advantage compared to Medvedev's 71%. Now, apart from those basic stats, there are another obvious stat I want to point out, which is in favor of Novak, which is his net points win, which is the points that Novak won ultimately after he came up to the net and volley. If you guys watched the match, you can see that Novak actually came up to the net a bunch of times. So he came up to the net 44 times 
and he won 37 of them, which is 84%, whereas Medvedev only came up to the net 22 times, and he won 16 of them, which is 73%. So I think Novak really analyzed from the last two times he played Medvedev this season because they met twice before this match and Novak won once and Medvedev won once so I think Novak definitely analyzed and figured out a strategy to score points against Medvedev and Medvedev seemed tired. I think part of this is because of his match against Alcaraz which is a really good match. In my opinion it might be one of the best matches or just the best match of the tournament so far on a men's side of course and Alcaraz used a lot of his techniques or his strategies such as drop shotting which is when you make a ball short and the opponent have to run up to the net to get it so it really wore Medvedev down in my opinion but of course, this is a final, so there were some really good rallies as well, and I will link the highlight of this match down below in case you guys didn't watch it. And now Novak have 24 Grand Slams, so he is tied with Margaret Court. I think he can maybe win at least four more Grand Slams for sure. Of course, this is just a wild guess, but I think he's doing really well, and I really like his way of tennis. He's so old, sorry, but he still finds a way to win matches and to somehow even outrun his opponent, which I find really magical and interesting. And he also did a meaningful tribute to Kobe Bryant. So this is his 24th Grand Slam. So he wore a shirt after the win, which is in the trophy ceremony. So it has the number 24 written on his back, which is the number Kobe Bryant wore as his basketball jersey. And in the front, there's a photo of Novak and Kobe, which I find is super meaningful. And I'm really happy that Novak decided to tribute Kobe in such an important moment. And another remarkable thing I want to talk about is how the men's final actually got 1.1 less views than the women's final. I find this really surprising because usually the men's final actually have more views. However, I think part of it is because of Coco Goff's astounding performance. And yeah, I'm just really happy that the women's side is actually getting more views because in my opinion, watching men's tennis and women's tennis is completely different. For the men's tennis, in my opinion, there's more of the one-two punch momentum, which is when you serve and then you volley where you hit a winner and that ends the point. The points are often shorter and it's just more, I think, in my opinion, quicker paced. However, for the women's side, the points are longer because there are more rallies. So I'm really happy that more people are tuning in to watch the women's side of tennis. And just another thing I want to talk about is not the men's final, actually. It's the doubles of the men's final, which is Rams and Salisbury. So they actually won three champions at the U.S. Open in a row, which is a super remarkable record. They won in 2021, 2022, and 2023, which I think is just really remarkable considering how they weren't having a good year this year. But they still managed to found their form and win the U.S. Open Championship. And I guess this just wraps up this U.S. Open. 
I don't know what to think about this U.S. Open. So there are a lot of external factors that play into this U.S. Open that I talked about before, but there are some upsets that are really just amazing. And of course, many players that we didn't notice before came into the picture. So I'm just really happy that a lot of players I predicted had some long runs, and I'm glad that Novak got his 24 Grand Slams because he surely deserved it. And now I am going to move away from the U.S. Open and I will talk about the San Diego Open. So the San Diego Open happened right after the U.S. Open. And in my opinion, to summarize it, it is a battle of the underperformers at the U.S. Open. So a lot of players went there, such as Caroline Garcia, Via Haddad Maya, Maria Sakari, Krejcikova, Kennan. So, of course, there are a lot of players that went there because it is an WTA 500 event, which means that this tournament is actually worth 500 points, which is a considerable amount of points to climb up the ranking. And the final is actually between Sofia Kennan and Barbara Krejcikova and right now they're actually playing and they're tied one all in the sets and Barbara Krejcikova is up 5-4 in the deciding set so by the time this episode comes out you guys will know the results by now but my prediction is Barbara's gonna win just because I think she has a better form and I am calling this the battle between the underperformers at the U.S. Open just because both of these players didn't go far in the U.S. Open and I think if Barbara wins this it will be a huge confidence booster for her so yeah I am rooting for Barbara. Meanwhile players like Caroline Garcia, Haddad Biamaya, and Maria Sakari is still trying to find their form and they went out pretty early so yeah there are a lot of different Just some surprise matches, but I am surprised that Daniel Collins is actually doing pretty good. We didn't hear much from her this year, but she actually beat Caroline Garcia in the quarterfinals of the San Diego Open with a score 6-2-6-3, which is super impressive. And I really like her style of tennis and how she is always so energetic on court. So yeah, I really want to see her play like she was playing against Ash Barty in Australian Open again. Okay, now moving on from San Diego Open, I am going to talk about the Davis Cup. So to summarize, the Davis Cup is basically the World Cup of Tennis, which is what they said on their website. So now they're playing for qualification in order to go to the final eight later in November. So the Davis Cup qualification started from September 12th and it's going to last until September 17th, which is Sunday. And there are 16 teams that are competing for eight spots in the finals. And basically they will compete in four round robin groups of four teams and the top two teams in each group will advance to the final eight in Malaga and then the champion will be crowned after that which is knockout stage so the 16 teams are Australia, Canada, Italy, Spain, Chile, Croatia, Czechia, Finland, France, Great Britain, Korea, 
Netherlands, Serbia, Sweden, Switzerland, and the USA. So in 2022, Canada was actually the champion of the Davis Cup and Australia was a close runner-up. But this year is going to all change and I'm really happy that a lot of important players or just notable players are actually playing this year, such as Novak Djokovic. So he actually came back after his US Open win just to play in Davis Cup for his country Serbia and they're doing really well and I think they secured themselves a ticket to Malaga for the final eight tournaments which is the knockout stage however on the other hand USA really isn't doing well so Finland actually stunned the USA by beating them in 3-0 in group D and this is really surprising considering everyone thought that USA will have no problem against them but I think the USA is struggling and Tommy Paul is underperforming. Even though they really have a lot of good players, they're all underperforming or just not doing as well as they should. Part of it is because of the pressure because the United States is always viewed as one of the big empires of sports. So they obviously have a lot of pressures that's built up against them so it's normal for them to underperform but however i think if you're playing for the united states you have to live up to the their expectations and to somehow overcome this pressure which i think is really hard for some of the players to do but on the brighter side Coco Gauff won the women's side of U.S. Open, which is a huge accomplishment for U.S. tennis. And I really do hope that we see more U.S. tennis players come up. And we did see a lot, such as Christopher Eubanks, Francis Tiafo, and Madison Keys. And the last topic I want to talk about is just a lighthearted topic. If you guys don't care, you can just end it here. But it's about Ben Shelton's celebration, which is the phone call celebration. I find it really funny because Ben Shelton started it, which is like a phone call and ending the phone call, which is his celebration of winning a match. And now Novak Djokovic was doing it after his win against Ben Shelton in the semifinals of US Open. And now Lorenzo Musetti is doing it, which is my second favorite player on the ATP tour. So I don't know. I just find it really funny how players are trying to copy each other's celebration because I remember one time when Stefanos Tsitsipas beat Daniel Medvedev, which is his longtime rival, he danced. And then when Daniel Medvedev beat Stefanos Tsitsipas, he also danced. So I think it's really funny how they're using each other's celebrations to kind of taunt each other. However, we don't see that much of this on the women's side. For the women's side, if they're a beef, they just like stare each other deep into their eyes. And then just nod. It's kind of scary. But the men's, I don't know. They're just more vocal about the conflicts that happen on court. And I think it's just a really funny observation I discovered. I just want to share with you guys. Not really sure if it means anything. But this ends today's episode. Today's episode is actually significantly shorter than the other two. Because there really isn't that much going on right now. 
But there are also a few tournaments that are going to come up, such as the Labor's Cup, the WTA Finals, and the ATP Finals. So make sure to follow me on all of my social media using the at Tennis Traverse. That is the at Tennis Traverse on Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. And leave my podcast a rating on the platform you're using to listen to my podcast. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye.